Good morning, I'm Michael Hall. I'm the pastor here at Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Parish. Want to welcome you all to our Facebook live service this morning. Uh, a couple of announcements. As many of you are aware, we were going to have our first in-person worship service last Sunday. And due to an overabundance of caution, we postponed that. We want to go ahead and set a tentative date for our first in-person worship. We're going to try this again. And we are going to aim for the last Sunday in July. And that would be, without having a calendar in front of me, I believe that is July the 26th. The reason for waiting another uh, two weeks uh, is not out of any real caution per se, but mainly it has to do with the way the sermons are lining up here. It will uh, Things will flow better in terms of sermon series since we are going to have an Easter worship service on that first in-person service uh, coming back. Uh, we're going to wait until the last Sunday in July for in-person worship. Uh, also want to announce that we are going to have, we need to have a board meeting. Uh, those of you who are committee chairs, uh, if you are able, and we know some of you may not feel like you can, but as much as possible, we need to try to have representation from the various committees. I'm not going to give last names, but I'm just going to give the first names of those that if you can, really need you there, but that would be Amy, Clicker, Laura, Carol, um, uh, Sandy and or Melody, uh, and uh, Paul, and Emily. And also, uh, optionally, since uh, PPR, we haven't been able to get anything done with PPR, if, um, the, uh, if Carol W., uh, could come and or Mel would be very uh, beneficial. Uh, that would put us under the numbers. We would be fine. We will be meeting in the fellowship hall. We'll be socially distanced. Uh, and if you need a mask, wear a mask. But we will be socially distanced in the fellowship hall. It be per should be perfectly safe. But we do need to try to have a meeting just to kind of deal with some uh, incidentals and continue with the business of the church. With that being said, uh, all those nice boring announcements out of the way, let's open with a word of prayer today uh, on this uh, July Sunday morning. Gracious and loving God, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for this day that you have given us that we can worship you. Lord, we pray that you would be with us wherever we are at, that you would give us your grace and your peace. Lord, we pray for those who need to experience your healing, and we just give you all the praise and glory for your goodness, for all good things come from you. We pray that you would bless us in our worship. Let your Holy Spirit be amongst us, that our worship might be pleasing to you, and to you all the praise be given. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Good morning. It's the season of VBS, and sadly, we don't have VBS decorations lying around and groups of kids planning to come in, so we thought we'd sing a couple songs. So if you want to get energized this morning, stand up and do some VBS songs.
If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy Today, as we come into our time of sharing our joys and our concerns with God, let us have our hearts attuned to His Spirit to know that He does hear the prayers of those who faithfully worship Him, that He loves those that follow Him, and that He cares about us. And so as we come into this time, let us go in confidence knowing that we serve a God who does hear and answer prayer.
Gracious and holy and loving God, Lord, we come to you today humbly, giving you thanks for all of your goodness, for the beauty of creation that you have made, for the love that you have given us for each other. And most of all, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, who you sent to live amongst us, to show us yourself. And that he died for us, giving us victory over sin and in his resurrection, giving us victory over death, that we might be eternally bound to you. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your spirit, that we might feel your presence with us at all times, that you empower us to overcome even the most insurmountable of times. Holy God, we come to you praying for those who are sick and who are in need of healing. We lift up to you those who have recently had surgery or are scheduled to have surgery. We pray that your healing hand would be upon them. We pray that you would guide and direct the doctors and nurses as they treat them. We pray for your divine protection. You keep those that we love safe. Lord, we lift up to you our doctors and our nurses as they deal with the diseases around us. And we pray your protection upon them and that you would give them wisdom and strength. Father God, we pray for all of our first responders and we pray for our military and our law enforcement, our peacekeepers and peacemakers. Lord, we pray that you would guide, direct and protect them. Let them know that they are never alone, but that you are with them. And we pray this for all who serve, but especially our friends and family who serve. Holy God, we come to you today praying for our leaders in government. We pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom from on high. That through them you might do your will. And that we might see your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven as you work through us. And Father, most of all, we pray for all of those that do not know you. We pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, use us to reach out to them, to share your love with them. That they might see you at work in our lives, that all might come to know the name of Jesus and be saved. Loving Father, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you and we lay them down at your feet in the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of your Holy Spirit, and in the strong name of Jesus, the risen Lord of the church. We continue to pray to you, gracious God, the prayer your Son, Jesus, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Scripture for today comes from Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, to everyone who is victorious. I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Again, I want to give a brief disclaimer that this message and the one that I give next week that I have on the church in Thyatira will be dealing with some adult situations and content. And if there are any young listeners, you may want to have them watch or listen to a children's message online for a change. With that being said, let us move in to today's message. Um, I confess that I am a bit of a fan of uh, Harry Houdini and reputable uh, street magicians and illusionists. Uh, only the ones that don't come across as creepy. Um, and one of the reasons why I like them is because those illusionists and magicians that are worth their salt, uh, and there's one that I like to watch online periodically, they actually have a deep-seated dislike for people who claim to be able to speak to the dead and things like that uh, because they see it as manipulating people's emotions in order to profit from them. And a decent magician will say, look, I'm going to lie to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a trick here. Understand it's a trick. There's no real magic here, but uh, just play along. It's, it's fun. But... There are people out there that will try to use tricks and manipulation to profit off of people's hurts and pains. And decent magicians like Houdini and others really have a problem with that. And that's one thing where I feel like uh, we have a common cause as a pastor. Uh, those who try to use um, 
who, who claim to be able to speak to past loved ones or mediums, uh, psychics that manipulate people for profit. Uh, I have a deep-seated problem with that. So uh, hopefully that doesn't offend anyone, but that's just who I am. And I think as a pastor, as a Christian, I feel like that is the stance that uh, I and we need to have. A lie is a deception trying to pass itself off as truth. An illusion is a lie that's saying, yes, this is a lie and just play along. But a true lie is a deception that tries to pass itself off as a truth. And a fiction is a deception that admits that it's a deception. Anyway, so I'm kind of rambling on here a little bit. Um, decent illusionists tend to like to police themselves. They say, don't try to uh, manipulate people. And interestingly, that need for self-policing is very much at the heart of the letter to the church in Pergamum that we're looking at today. This need to police ourselves to remain true to what we believe. So as the letter to the church in Pergamum opens, Jesus, through John of Patmos, says that the church has faithfully withstood the pressure of outside persecution. He refers to Pergamum as the place where Satan has his throne. And he even points out that there was one of the faithful who was martyred there. So Pergamum would have been a city where not only would you catch flack for being a Christian, but it was actually literally physically dangerous to be a Christian in Pergamum. And Jesus gives the people in that church credit saying, you have remained faithful to me even in the face of death. The church has taken the abuse that the devil had to hurl at the church and the church is still standing. That being said, there is a problem. This church, I'm guessing that ostensibly for the sake of love, has allowed some folks with heretical ideas to come into the church and they have tolerated them. And now there is a danger of seduction into heresy. Those that they tolerated that I'm guessing out of the auspices of love and compassion, there is now a real danger that they could potentially pervert the church. What are these heresies? And this is the reason why I said this one, maybe for younger kids, they need to be listening to something else because it's, it's pretty clear what the problem is. It says that they, these heretics hold to the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans. Now those are things that probably don't mean an awful lot to any of you. And so we need a little explanation. The Nicolaitans were a subset of, they called themselves Christians, but they really were not behaving as Christians. The Nicolaitan heresy, from the best that we can understand, was a heresy that said, do whatever you want with your body. It doesn't matter. What only matters is your spirit. If an act is sinful, but you want to do it, go ahead and go and do it with your body because it's only your spirit that matters. And in particular, we know that these particular groups of heretics practiced a lot of sexual sin. And I don't want to go into graphic detail here, but they picked it up from the surrounding pagan culture um, among many of the, the Greek and Roman temples. It was not uncommon 
for sexual acts to be incorporated into deviant acts of worship. And so we think that that might be kind of the direction of, of what was going on here. It's unseemly, I know, but we do need to talk about it. And the other thing that is mentioned is eating of food dedicated to idols. And what's interesting here is both of these taboos are really the two main things that are opposed in the book of Acts. If you go back and read the book of Acts, whenever there were controversies between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, the early church finally sat down and said, okay, here's the main thing. Avoid food sacrificed to idols or killed in unnatural ways and, and abstain from sexual sins. That was their two big ones. And I think a lot of it is because those two things, what we eat, and what we do with our bodies tend to be things that can really uh, run us down a dark, dark road. Part of the origin of this was an influx of Platonism that had gotten into the church. And I know a lot of you, again, this is probably like what in the world is Platonism. To make it short... Uh, Plato and his students, these were Greek philosophers, and they believed that the body and the soul, or the spirit, were essentially two separate things, and that you could do something with your body and say, oh, but my soul is still pure, or that the body was an imperfect reflection of the spirit. And some of you might think, well, that kind of makes some sense. The problem is, is that if you really look at the Old Testament and if you look at uh, the portions of the New Testament that were written by this point, the spirit, or as what's more often used, the ruach uh, in Hebrew, is the life breath that powers the body. Our spirit will be preserved after death, but it's only so that it can be rejoined with a perfected physical spiritual body at the resurrection. The end point of all this is that to try to say that our bodies and our spirits are two completely separate things uh, is not really true. Our bodies and our spirits are interconnected. And yes, when we die, we will be in paradise with Jesus. But that is a temporal time until Jesus makes all things new. We are never meant to be disembodied spirits floating around on a cloud. So if you think that that's what eternity is going to be like. And if you're a little bit bummed thinking, man, that sounds boring to sit around on a cloud for eternity playing a harp, I've got good news for you. You read the scriptures, it really does not sound like that's what we are looking forward to in eternity. We, we have an eternity to look forward to that, is, that we believe is very tangible and real, and there are going to be things to do, okay? So to try to say that the spirit and the body are two completely separate things is not really good theology. And that is something that was brought into the church by Greek philosophers later on. And if you really want true evidence of what I'm saying is true, look at Jesus. When he was raised from the dead, he was not a ghost that was floating around, but he had a real body, he had real scars, and he ate food, okay? So the body and spirit, although they are two things, they are interconnected. So in essence, the problem here is that the church in Pergamum has allowed bad teaching to coexist with the good teaching, and it has allowed it to the point that there is now the danger that corruption could start to take place. Now, my belief, based on the reading of this letter, is that full corruption has not happened yet. 
Uh, for an example of a church that has become fully corrupted, you'll have to wait till next week when I talk about the church in Thyatira. Uh, because I believe that is an example of a church that has allowed these things to come in and has allowed it to be corrupted. But that is the danger of what could happen in Pergamum. The church isn't wholly corrupted yet, but they are going down that road. There is bad teaching, bad theology coming out, and people are being led into things that can hurt them. Okay, This isn't just about saying, oh, we don't approve of that. This hurts people. Okay, In so many ways, I think that most of the mainstream denominations in America fit at least somewhat into this category, okay? So this is kind of uncomfortable to bring up, but honestly, if we're really honest with ourselves, so many churches fall into this category. We've got good things going for us. We mean well, we love people, but we sometimes let some, some thoughts in. We sometimes allow some teaching in. We tolerate it when we really shouldn't. We want to love everyone, and we should love everyone. But I believe in our culture we've come to a problem. We have confused loving everyone with approving of all of the behaviors of someone. We've come to this point as a culture where we think, okay, in order to love someone, I have to approve of everything that you do. And that is not at all true. That is not love. Love is striving for what is best for someone and desiring someone to be their best and being willing to do anything in your power to help facilitate that. If someone is on a road to self-destruction, it is not love to say, don't worry, whatever you want to do is okay. I find it interesting, as I said earlier, that the heresies that the church in Pergamum tolerated particularly involved sexual sin. What particular sins aren't really named? Next week we get a little bit better impression of what these sins could have been when we look at Thyatira. But they're not named specifically, mainly because I don't think it matters, because it is any sexual sin. I'm going to stick my neck out here just a little bit and say that any sex that is outside of the bounds of what Paul very explicitly describes in his letters to the Corinthians is going to fall into the category of sexual sin. And if you don't know what Paul categorizes as okay sexual behavior and not okay sexual behavior, go back and read the letters to the Corinthians, read his letter to the Romans, and you'll get a pretty good idea of what's okay and what's not okay. Sorry, but not sorry. That is where I am. If you disagree with me, I love you even if you decide you don't love me anymore. We need to understand that we are about to see in a minute as to why it is important that if we truly love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we have an obligation to them to be honest and say, I think what you are doing is wrong and it is hurting, this is the thing, it is hurting the image of God in you. Because that's what love does. Love says, I don't want you hurt. And yes, maybe something might seem good at the time. But let me tell you, bad things always produce bad fruit, even if they come down the line significantly later. 
We say you are hurting all that your best self can be in doing what you are doing. I think one of the reasons why suicide is so high, even among Christians, is that we aren't helping each other in the blind spots that we have. All of us have blind spots. Some of them may be sexual. Some of them might be regarding food. Some of them might be regarding money. Who knows? But we all have blind spots. And we need to help each other in dealing with those blind spots. It isn't just sexual sin, but anything that causes us to be less than the human that God meant us to be, that runs the danger of breaking us, breaking that image of God that is in us and making us become less than human. When we become less than human, we, there's, there's a reason why they say that violent people and, and people who have committed ungodly atrocities, we call them beasts. Because they have allowed themselves to become like animals. They cease to behave as human beings. And that is a grievous and terrible thing. The tolerance of corruption quite literally can lead to death. The issue in Pergamum is that they have allowed lies to exist where only truth should exist. Jesus is interested in us being in the truth because as he has said and as I mentioned last Sunday, the truth is what sets us free. And he tells us that if we do not take care of an influx of untruth within the church ourselves, he will do it himself. And when he does it, he will come and do it with the sword of his mouth. The sword of his mouth, when you read Revelation, you find very clearly that when it talks about the sword coming from Jesus' mouth, it is his word. It is his word. And his word can cut, as it were, both ways. He can both protect those who are faithful and he can drive out that which seeks to destroy. And he promises to fight the lies that are spreading in the church with his truth, even if it means fighting those who spread the lies. But he would rather that the church police itself. He's saying, look, deal with this yourselves. Work with those who are edging towards a point of ceasing to be a Christian. Talk to those about the lies that they're allowing to infect their lives. Lovingly reprove those who are tempted by and spreading the lies that our bodies aren't the temple of the Holy Spirit, that in truth they are. Jesus calls us to be living sacrifices and to be a, a temple of the Holy Spirit means that we, in essence, are becoming small points on the creation where God impacts the world directly. He works through us. The temple in Jerusalem was meant to represent the place where heaven and earth meet. So every true Christian that follows Jesus should be a place, a tiny little speck of creation where heaven and earth meet. He wants us to be living sacrifices, letting go of our wants and inclinations in order to be molded into that dwelling that he wants to live in. The good news is his promise to those who remain in the truth is the manna from heaven and a new name. The manna, I think, represents God's word and he will fill our every need with his truth. We won't need to go looking for other truths through pleasure or anything else. And he promises to give us a secret name, a secret name, and that we will be subject to no one other than the one who gives us that name. 
Endure to the end in the truth, and the truth will be all that we will ever need. What is that truth? I think it's quite simply this. Jesus Christ is Lord. It is the only truth that really matters, and it is the only truth that we can stake our eternity on. And that is something that we can have confidence in. Amen. from Michael that I should pray our closing prayer. I hope that everyone has a really good week and is encouraged and will hopefully talk to you soon. Thank you, God, for this time together in your house of worship. And even though we all aren't here, we pray and we thank you for meeting each of us in our own places and touching our hearts with your presence. Be with each one that goes forward this week and each day and the trials that they face and the little th issues that come up and whatever is going on in their life, just be close to them. Let us know that you're close and trust you because you're in control. And we thank you for your many, many blessings and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.